Stage Door Sessions by Broadway Direct. In this podcast, we have in-depth conversations with Broadway's brightest, bringing you what's new, what's noteworthy, and what's coming next to a stage near you. I'm your host, Elisa Gardner, and this fall, we'll be speaking with some of the artists whose talents are standing out at a very busy time in a very busy Broadway season. But before our conversations with each week's guests, this season, we'll be kicking off each episode with a look at what's new on Broadway every week with Broadway Direct's own Paul Art Smith, who joins me right now. Hi, Paul. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? Hanging in there. Busy time. Busy time, but fun, you know? Good to see so many shows. Definitely. I know. There's been lots of things to see lately. Lots of Sondheim to see. I caught The Frogs recently, starring like Douglas Sills and Kevin Chamberlain. That was a very interesting Sondheim piece to see, and it was great to see it staged. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen Here We Are? Yes. Here We Are is also very, it's very cathartic to like experience that, but... Lots of yeah. time in the air, and we, I'm not complaining at all. No, we can never complain. Yeah. We can never have too much Sondheim. No. That's one thing. Sondheim and chocolate are two things <laughs> we can't have enough of for me. Especially, yes. Well, we've had many news stories since we last spoke. We'll start off on an unfortunate note. Here Lies Love mm-hmm. announced it will close on Broadway on Sunday, November 26th. Yeah, yeah, that is sad news. I mean, there are so many reasons that I was really rooting for this show. I, I wrote about pop music before I wrote mm-hmm. about theater, actually. And uh, I certainly think David Byrne has been one of the great pop visionaries of the past 50 years. And I really liked his and Fat Boy Slim score and, and what Alex Timbers did with the show. Very inventive. I, I really liked it downtown when I saw it there years ago. And, um, you know, I guess it just didn't quite hit as much of a chord with ticket buyers as was hoped. Uh, you got to see it, didn't you? Yes, definitely. I agree yeah. with what you said. And the score was just incredible. And I thought the three leads were fantastic. So I'm sad that mm-hmm. didn't find its audience. It just came in, I think, at a interesting time. You know, we've talked about a lot of the summer openings and how there were so many this year, which isn't usual for Broadway. So right. this was, I think, a risk. And I wonder how it would have fared, you know, in a spring season, closer to award season and all. But I am sad that it didn't pan out as, you know, one would hope for a Broadway show. Yeah, that's a really good point you're making. I'm hoping it'll have a life, you know, that it'll, that there will be revivals. And this is the kind of show I'd actually love to see schools do, Mm. Um, you know, high schools, colleges, because, uh, you know, it's, it's so rich in history and there's so much sort of cultural depth to it. And at the same time, it's a big party, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's got a lot of different virtues to it. So I'm, I'm, Hoping and I'm thinking this won't be the last we'll see or hear from Here Lies Love. I hope so. I yeah. Hope so. And I know we were talking about Sondheim earlier. Another show that's been running on Broadway for the past year is Sweeney Todd. And we found out it will be extending past Josh Groban and Annalie Ashford when they depart in January. Two other stars will come in and take over the roles of Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett. Aaron TV and Sutton Foster. That's right. Yeah, I read one of my colleagues wrote something on Twitter about um, he's so excited to see Aaron Tveit as uh, Anthony in uh, Sweeney Todd, <laughs> which is a joke, of course, but it's also, he is 40 years old, which is in the same range as, as most of the other Sweeney's have been, um, you know, going back to uh, Len Cario, who was, mm-hmm. I think, around that age in his early 40s, maybe, as was George Hearn, as is Josh Groban. But I think mm-hmm. of Aaron as having, being more of a young leader man type. Maybe I'm sort of attaching him to roles I've seen him in years ago. You know, he is, I shouldn't say he's getting up there because he's he's <laughs> a lot younger than me, but um, but I see him as a certain type and his voice, he has that baritone voice, that lovely baritone voice, but so does Josh Groban, you know? Yeah. So I think, uh, I think he can probably make it fit. 
For sure. And, you know, it has been brought up that this is against type for Aaron, which Mm -hmm. is a fair point. But I also think that makes that this casting all the more interesting and very curious to see what he does in this against type performance. That's right. That's right. And Sutton Foster, of course, it's it's less against type for her. Uh, Marion and and the Music Man was more against type in her case. So uh, I'm sure she'll have a lot of fun with this role and and bring something uh, fresh and, and funny to it. Yes, and spring on Broadway is bound to be another busy one. Multiple shows have announced their runs. The Who's Tommy will return in the spring, as well as new musicals, Lampika and the Heart of Rock and Roll. Yeah, it seems like there's a new announcement every day for new Broadway shows for the spring and for later in the year, and and certainly a lot of rock and roll coming our way with Tommy leading the pack, Chicago-born revival with um, Des McEnough directing it. Uh, he directed the original and you know wrote the book with Pete Townsend. So I'm thinking we'll see a pretty authentic Tommy, and that's that's a score that's loved by rock fans and musical theater fans. Definitely. I'm not very familiar with Tommy, actually. And, you know, it's Ah. coming to the Nederlander Theater this spring. So I'm excited to, you know, finally experience it. I've, of course, heard the title and I know Pinball Wizard, but excited to finally see what the Who's Tommy is all about. Yeah, well, it's before your time. I mean, actually, the (laughs) album and the rock opera are before my time, even. Mm. (laughs) So it's uh, it's it's going back away. So it'll be interesting to see if um, the director who's so familiar with the material, who who helped craft the material, does anything new with it. And um, um, Heart of Rock and Roll, Huey Lewis. And I have to say, uh, a good friend of mine is directing that show. Oh. So I am extra looking forward to seeing it. He's also represented Off-Broadway right now by Dracula. Mm. Um I can't, uh, this is awful. It's my friend and I can't remember the whole name of the show, which I loved. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, but a very, very funny parody on uh, on Dracula. Uh, and so he's been busy and, you know, Huey Lewis and the News were huge in the 80s. So this mm-hmm. is going to be, this is going to have a lot of nostalgic appeal, certainly. Yes. And I actually got to catch Lampika at the Loyal Playhouse last summer. And I'm really oh, excited to uh-huh. see. Yeah, I'm really excited to see it on Broadway. Eden Espinosa stars in it and she is, you know, yeah. a former Alphaba. So, of course, she is a powerhouse voice. But I'm really excited for that performance to be seen by Broadway audiences. And Rachel Chavkin, a former Stage Door Sessions guest, is directing. So it's always great yes, to see she her. Is. Always great to see her at the helm of a show. And what does it look like? I mean, given that it's about this Art Deco figure, right? So is it yeah. just gorgeous? That, you know, it I mean, is, I, but I'm, like, I'm hesitant to say anything because I think there is some different designers for Broadway. So we will have oh, to see okay. what it looks like on the final product at the Long Acre Theater. Okay, great. Well, <laughs> I'm sure it will look spectacular, uh, yeah. whatever they do with it yeah looking for and sound great with uh, Eden singing so for sure that's just a taste of some of the recent news stories. And as always, you can head to Broadway Direct for the latest coverage and news on Broadway, as well as across all of our social platforms at Broadway Direct. Well, thank you, as always, Paul. And speaking of our busy season, I am lucky today to be joined by Tony Award nominees Scott Brown and Anthony King, who are co-creators of Gutenberg the Musical, which is currently playing at the James Earl Jones Theater. So for those of you who may have slept through history class, Johann Gutenberg was the pioneer who invented movable type printing back in the 15th century. He also published the Gutenberg Bible. But Gutenberg the musical is, alas, not 
a biography of his life, but rather a very funny account of two nursing home workers who are inspired to write their own musical about this revolutionary figure, hoping it will give them their own little place in history as a Broadway hit. Spoiler alert, it does not work. Uh, the show was introduced off-Broadway back in 2006, and it now arrives with two stars who previously worked together in a little show called The Book of Mormon. That would be Josh Gad and Andrew Rannells. And it's being directed, as it was before, by Tony winner Alex Timbers, whose many success stories on and off-Broadway include another Brown King collaboration, Beetlejuice. So a bit about our guests before we start. They've been collaborators themselves since high school. Scott, in addition to writing the book for Beetlejuice with Anthony, his credits include HBO's Emmy-nominated Sharp Objects and Hulu's WGA award-winning Castle Rock. He is also a novelist, the author of Excel, and I got to meet him years ago when he worked as a journalist. While writing for New York Magazine, he won the very prestigious George Dean Nathan Award for theater criticism, which I have never won, but I'm not bitter about that. And he wrote for Entertainment Weekly, where I got my first real job out of college, working as an assistant to the music editor, actually. So a lot of common ground between us, Scott. I've just never been up for a Tony or an Emmy or a George Jean Nathan Award. <laughs> um, Anthony is an Emmy-nominated television writer as well. He is co-creator and producer of Robbie on Paramount+. Plus. And his many other projects have included Apple's The After Party, HBO's Silicon Valley, Comedy Central's Broad City, Hulu's Woke, TBS's Wrecked, and Netflix's Dead to Me and Wet Hot American Summer, First Day of Camp, and 10 Years Later. Anthony Scott, welcome to Stage Door Sessions. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So you two met in high school as fellow theater geeks, I guess. I, I was a theater geek, too, but I, I didn't create anything. I was just a singer who moved. So tell me a bit about how you guys came together. Oh, I think we were all just singers who moved. Well, we were at all. Uh, Anthony and I have a great meet cute that we tell in, in two different ways. Should I start with my way? <laughs> sure. You tell your way. Okay. My way is this. So it's eighth grade for me, I think, seventh or eighth grade for me. And there's a pep rally and it involves our brand new mascot, this cougar. You know, we were the Carrington Cougars. This was Durham, North Carolina, Carrington Junior High School. There was this new mascot costume and there was a contest to name the mascot and Anthony won the contest. So that's one piece of information. Another piece of information is that I'm sitting here in the stands at this pep rally, and someone's running around in the costume and runs right over a cheerleader. And it's it just stops the pep rally cold for a second. But then this whoever is in this costume gets up and then jumps up and down like, yay, yay, <laughs> and totally gets the crowd going again. Amazing moment. I had no idea that these two things were connected until I was on the bus one day with Anthony. And we had never met, but we were on the same school bus and we sat in the same seat for the first time. And he told the story of how that actually happened. And I listened to it. So Anthony, tell the other side of the story. Yeah, I was in that costume. Uh, <laughs> and um, <laughs> the uh, so yeah, I named the cougar. Um, and what I won was $25 and the chance to be the cougar. The problem was no one had ever 
dressed in the costume before. And so when the cheerleading coach told me to go run across the gym, the uh, head on the uh, cougar costume really Uh-oh. bounced and the uh, eye holes couldn't really see where you're going, which no one knew. Uh, so the last thing I saw was this very tiny cheerleader bouncing in front of me as I slammed into her and uh, <laughs> rode her across the gym floor, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and oh then no. what else can you do? The, the pep rally must go on. So I jumped up and got the audience to cheer. But uh, yeah, it was, um, it was a, it was a, we met in a moment of personal trauma. <laughs> no lawsuits, I hope. <laughs> no, no, no lawsuits, no lawsuits. No one, no cheerleaders were harmed. They just were uh, surprised. <laughs> and briefly humiliated. But but I feel, I feel like it's, I tell that story because I feel like it's a very Gutenberg way for us to have met, I guess. A story of folly and triumph. <laughs> Ollie and Triumph, yes. Well, fast forward a few years. Uh, the show was conceived more than 20 years ago, right? And it ran in London with, with you too in it uh, previously, as well as Off-Broadway. I, um, I read an interview recently that you, Anthony, were working as a musical theater intern for a very high-profile nonprofit company, and you found yourself sifting through some tapes and CDs from aspiring musical theater writers and you were not super impressed and your idea was basically to create your own bad musical with Scott. I'm sure this is partly tongue in cheek. You're saying all this, but then as I think you put it, well, we fell in love with our own dumb stuff. Um, Tell us a bit about how you got from, from there to London and off Broadway and now Broadway and how, how that stuff has evolved. Yeah, I think, you know, the the main driver, all of that is true that that those that all of that inspired the show, but I think Scott and I both love musical theater and we but we're also aware of how, you know, ridiculous it can be. Like, you know, people who don't like musical theater are always commenting on like they just start singing and it's so crazy. Uh that's not to me it's the it's the absur- like the absurdity of what musicals can be about how uh, pushed they are, um, all of the gossip around Broadway and all of that stuff. And Scott and I love all of that too. And so that's really what the show is kind of about is this thorny love letter to musical theater and Broadway. Um, And so we wrote it and started performing it at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater long ago, um, originally as a one act. Um, And we did it there for, I don't know, two years, Scott? Does that seem right? I think so. Yeah. Like 2003, 2005, something like that. Yeah. And musicals were not common at the UCB theater. We, we ended up being asked to be part of the New York musical theater festival. Uh, and as we did it there, a producer from London um, saw it and asked us, could this be two acts? Uh, and we were like, sure. <laughs> and then he and then like, looked well, at each other like, I don't, can it be two acts? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, if it can be, then you, I'll bring it to London and you can do it in London. So we made it a two-act show and went to London uh, and did it for eight weeks, I think, off, off West End. Yeah. What was that experience like? Oh, wow. Well, I think it's the only time in my life that I've, that, you know, that either of us has done like eight shows a week of anything. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I lost a lot of weight. I, uh, <laughs> I, I uh, yeah, no, I mean, we, we pretty much, when we, when we got there, we were still finishing the two act version of the show. We, we wrote one of the songs on the plane over <laughs> much, much to the friend of our, of our seat neighbors. We were still 
kind of making props on 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 the floor of the theater. We got there about a week before we were supposed to open. You know, we were putting you know signs on cardboard and cutting things out and and making sure the hats worked and like it. Yeah, it it, it was it was very much a DIY kind of affair. It, what what was what, one of the more uh, bone chilling moments was uh, press night. There was absolutely no reaction from the crowd. It was a very small theater, and no one said anything. And we we, we walked off stage, and we were like, "Well, we might be going back early." <laughs> and then the reviews came out, and they were great. And we were like, "We we asked our producer what." What what happened? And 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 he said, well, it was such a small theater that it was all press, and they were mostly just writing. Right. And- <laughs> so many of the things that happened along the way with this show are really feel like uh, Bud and Doug, the characters in the show, and just mm. that you know, we, someone goes, can you make it to accent come to London? And we're like, yes, uh, just completely naive, <laughs> excited to do it and having no real awareness of what we were agreeing to. Um, and then somehow, again, like having a press night that feels like a disaster, but then it's actually yeah. a triumph. Uh, and we had no idea. It was, it was, it, the whole thing is very, um, art imitating life, imitating art. Yeah. Well, you know, critics are, are so, rude and insufferable in public. So that I'm sure that had something to do with it. Um, how did, uh, how did Alex Timbers get involved? At what point did he come on board? That was when we were back in New York. Once, once we got good reviews in London, the producer wanted to do it off Broadway and Scott and I wanted to bring in actual actors, uh, not, and not have not continue with our amateurish ways. Uh, so we, um, we brought in uh, Chris Fitzgerald and Jeremy Seamus, uh, and we stepped out of the show and started doing a lot of rewrites. And then um, they actually were the ones who knew, uh, I think Jeremy's wife had worked with Alex and recommended him. And so we met him through them. Uh, and it was just an immediate fit. He, his sensibility is so in line with ours in so many ways. Uh, and he comes from kind of the same loves of, comedy and theater and musical theater uh, and how the all of those things I think we we had in common. I should point out actually here that for anyone who doesn't know this, that you two wrote the book Music and Lyrics for Gutenberg, whereas uh, for Beetlejuice, it was Eddie Perfect who, who wrote the score. Is that how you initially, you know, back in the day when you were thinking about putting musicals together, uh, imagined your partnership kind of doing the whole shebang? I mean, the wonderful thing about starting as a joke, which is what it did, almost a private joke, is that, you know, you, you, you don't have to conceive of what, is, what, what are our goals? What is our partnership going to be? Where is this thing going? It was, it was so just about like, you know, Anthony would bring home these, we were, we were roommates uh, in New York, you know, eons ago. And, uh, and when Anthony would come back from his internship, uh, at that uh, high-profile nonprofit you mentioned, he, uh, he would he would have these tapes of of the shows, and he would play them, and we would we would be so fascinated listening to these uh, tapes of full musicals, often through sung entirely by the authors, sometimes using different voices. It was so DIY. It was it was it was so plucky, even when it was crazy, and it was often very crazy. That you know, we we got inspired to try to do you know our our own sort of joke version of that, and 
But that very quickly grew into like, well, we just wrote a song. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and like, and even if it's ludicrous, there is just something so seductive about making anything. It makes you think like, well, if we can do that, maybe we can add another song. Maybe we can add a a, a ballad here. Should we, should we try a silly ballad? None of it's serious, of course. We just, you know, we're pulling the rug even as we do it. We're selling it all out. But it's, but we're really, you know, very slowly seducing ourselves in the idea of writing a whole show. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, we, we always loved theater. We always wanted to make theater. I don't mm-hmm. think we ever sat down and thought, you know, what's our partnership? What's our, what's our, what's our version of learner and low? It, it, it <laughs> just sort of, uh, it just sort of happened because we started doing. No, it really yeah. is that, that sense of, I think we're both drawn to, I know I'm drawn in all, all the kind of creative endeavors that I get involved with is, is the creative collaboration is where like the real joy comes from is, you know, two or more people in a room kind of deluding yourselves into thinking what you're making is good, whether it is or not, because you have to, that's the only way anything ever gets made. And, you know, every musical I think is that, especially you know if you tell someone just like i'm gonna write a musical about the secretary of the treasury someone would be like okay that seems like a terrible idea but that's hamilton and that is because lynn manuel and his creators and his i mean and his collaborators all deluded themselves into thinking it was a good idea and it was <laughs> so i just that's kind of the um impetus for for i think all of it Anthony, I thought you were talking about Yellen at first. Our, our, our. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm waiting for that one. Yeah, singing and, singing and yelling is the. Uh, <laughs> is the yeah, don't give it away. Don't give it away. That's the opening. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll edit that part out, so you're you're safe. Um, well, yeah, you you know, and that DIY ethic is is so much in the show. I mean, you know, as I as I said before, and as you've clarified, this is not Gutenberg's story. It's um, these these uh, nursing home guys really don't. Know much and don't bother learning much about that subject. The subject here is Broadway and musicals, and you're sending up Broadway dreams, cliches. Have you thought in getting the show together about how the Broadway of 2003 is different from the Broadway that was when you were putting the show together, you know, 20 years ago? Yeah, it has changed quite a bit. I mean, I was just talking about Hamilton, but Hamilton did not exist when we wrote uh, Gutenberg. Uh, originally. And so obviously that's a gigantic sea change uh, in Broadway. And so we have been doing a lot of updates to um, the script to kind of talk more about where we are now in the age of so much IP on Broadway and it being everything's an adaptation of a movie, it seems, uh, and guilty as charged. Um, But the but I, I think um, we, we definitely wanted to speak to all those things because we want Bud and Doug to feel like they are presenting this show right now and not, you know, 15 years ago when it was written. So we've, we've definitely done a lot of updates and even embracing the show is about two guys who want to take their show to Broadway. And obviously now they're doing it in a Broadway theater. And so we've uh, done a lot of fun things to make that make sense as well. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 funny when we started writing this, we were, you know, Broadway was still kind of in the in the twilight of the mega musical. I mean, there was sort of the mega musical and then there was the kind of the rent like reply to the mega musical and 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 a, and, a, and a few, you know, weird, lucky little urine town like things around around the margins. But uh, 
what's been wild is 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 seeing how how the show has sort of grown up with Broadway over the last 20 years and and how the the things that it has sort of accumulated along the way have kind of charted that growth a little bit uh and uh, yeah and that the fundamental things are still are still there even though things have changed so much stylistically that there's there's still the well-earned cliche of, of 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 the of the yearning I want song there's there's you know, there's, there's still the big production number. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's kind of amazing how many things have endured. Yeah. At its core. Absolutely. You have now, of course, two huge Broadway stars in Josh Gad and Andrew Rannells playing these roles. I think I read that Alex Timbers was involved with recruiting Josh and Andrew to reunite for the first time since Book of Mormon. Uh, tell me a bit about what roles you played in that process and and for that matter if any tweaks were done to sort of serve these very particular and now very famous talents yeah it was that was um when we first started talking about maybe actually doing the show on broadway that they were the first thought of like it would be so exciting and also very gutenberg to reunite these two guys who uh are both incredibly talented but also have this really close enduring friendship and love for each other uh as do bud and doug in the show and so in the spirit of that the show kind of always reflecting the what's actually real around it um they seem like the perfect fit and then we we did a uh workshop with them in in la uh and we were actually all together in a room on the day that the world shut down for the pandemic (laughs) where oh yeah josh gad was going guys i think this is going to be bad and we were like eh and then it was like, oh, Josh, Josh was right. Uh, this is bad. Um, we, we walked out of that room and the news that Tom Hanks was sick with COVID was just yeah. breaking. And it was like, well, this show isn't happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Bad omen. Yeah, I, I I completely I mean, I hadn't forgotten about that. But, it, you know, you realize now that is has had such an enduring sort of fallout. You know, every every new show coming up has a has a COVID story. <laughs> I haven't even thought to ask you about yours. Yeah, and Broadway is definitely still, you know, I think finding its new footing post-pandemic. Uh, it, it, it's, it's definitely this season feels uh, much healthier than, than it has been in the last couple of years. But I think everyone is still kind of figuring out where are we post, in this post-pandemic world. Uh, and we're, we are as well. <laughs> But in terms of Josh and Andrew, uh, much like Chris and Jeremy, I mean, when we stepped out of the roles and Chris and Jeremy went into it, uh, you know, a lot of our rewrites couldn't help but be influenced by the chemistry they had as friends. I mean, they had a they had a friendship and a vibe of of their own. And that's that definitely enriched the show. And then when when Josh and Andrew got involved, I I would say I think Anthony would agree that, you know, the, the things that we have tweaked and, and changed and enriched in the text and in the music have sort of, you know, played to their strengths too. And their incredible, you know, incredible chemistry they have as friends and as performers, which sometimes that line is invisible. Like it's, it's amazing how much of themselves they bring into these roles while also creating very distinct roles in Bud and Doug. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, of course, this is these roles, the show are part of a season where we have musicals ranging from a revival of Spamalot to a musical about young autistic adults based on a documentary to Melissa Etheridge telling her personal story to Barry Manilow revisiting Weimar Europe. So <laughs> it's a pretty diverse assortment. Where do you see Gutenberg fitting in in that group? I would say somewhere between Barry Manilow's Weimar Europe and <laughs> one of those other things. <laughs> That's our yeah, it's, it is a very fascinating season, isn't it? It's it's really yeah, it's yeah. pretty it's pretty exciting. And and I you know we Gutenberg is a strange show as well, and is and is a very um, on some levels, even though it's a, it's it's definitely hard comedy and. It's still it's it's a sharp elbowed kind of uh, like love letter to musicals, and so we're hoping, you know, that people. It's such a chaotic world right now that we're we're hoping people can come spend two hours with Josh and Andrew and laugh and feel the joy that is just kind of emanating off the stage, uh, and that's the that's kind of what we're hoping it can be in the Broadway season is just a place where we can kind of like forget the insanity around us uh, and be together. And, and it's a show about dreaming and hope. And that is um, even when maybe the odds are against you <laughs> as, as much as they can be. So I'm hoping that resonates with people. We certainly need all of those things, you know, hope and laughter and joy and uh, no pressure, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm sure this show will, will bring that to a lot of folks, people who were lucky enough to see it off Broadway and a lot of new uh, attendees as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. It was really great to speak with you, to reconnect with you a little bit, Scott, and to meet you, Anthony, um, and best of luck. And uh, we hope to have you again for your next musical. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yellen. Yellen. Yellen the musical. Yellen the musical. And for all things Broadway, and to find tickets to your next show, visit broadwaydirect.com. If you liked our show, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And don't forget to share and rate Stage Door Sessions so that other theater fans can find us as well. This podcast is produced by Broadway Direct and the Niederlander Organization with Iris Chan, Aaron Provosnik-Wagner, and Paul Art Smith, and hosted and produced by me, Elisa Gardner. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again on Broadway.